0: Hello guys, and welcome back to the All Things United podcast. Uh, on this week's episode, we're going to look over um, United's 4-1 victory over Burton in the EFL Cup, as well as uh, their most recent Premier League win over Southampton. I'll also be looking ahead to our match against CSKA Moscow in the UEFA Champions League, as well as next week's fixture against Crystal Palace. Uh, hope you guys enjoy it. All right, so as I was saying in the beginning, uh, United have come off a 4-1 win over Burton in the League Cup. This was not a shock and shouldn't be a shock to anyone. We definitely have a team that's capable of beating teams like Burton, and especially at home. Uh, this game saw goals from Mar- two goals from Marcus Rashford, uh, a goal from Jesse Lingard, and then a, finally a goal from Anthony Martial off the bench. Uh, there wasn't much to report on this game, Rashford looked good holding up the ball as a lone striker. Uh, It's nice to see him playing as a striker as Mourinho's mostly been deploying him as a winger in the league. And it'll be interesting to see uh, later on in the season as the games start piling up if Mourinho will ever deploy Rashford as a lone striker, uh, which is his natural position, was his position when he was playing in, uh, in the youth setup. Aside from that, uh, we also saw that Luke Shaw made an appearance in the second half playing left back. Uh, This was nice to see, you know, as Shaw's obviously still trying to find his fitness after that horrific leg break that he suffered uh, a couple years ago, I believe, against PSV. So yeah, and I think a lot of United fans were happy about seeing this, but then I saw some stuff on social media saying that, oh, he looked unfit and he, you know, that we should sell him and that, oh, he's not dedicated enough. But honestly, um, after something like a leg break, it can do something, you know, players, I call it, uh psychologically, as I said in the last podcast. Um, and also, you know, he's still young. He's 23, I believe. I could be wrong on that. Um, so I think this year, more than any, is a year for him to prove himself and prove that he can still be our future left back for the next five or six years. I think... We should still support him uh, getting back into the first team and hopefully we'll be able to see him more as the season goes on. Okay, so uh, now going on to the game today against Southampton. uh, We ended up winning this game 1-0 with a goal from Romelu Lukaku. Um, Southampton this season have had a fairly easy start uh, to the season with playing mostly teams that were found in the bottom half of the league. Uh, However, their main issue is been scoring goals, and that's the main reason why they haven't been winning games and haven't been going up the table. Uh, They obviously have Manuel Gabbiadini playing up front, who's a pretty prolific striker, but their manager doesn't seem to want to start him and would rather start someone like Shane Long up front, uh, who is a good option. He's a proven Premier League striker, but I think they should definitely look at changing that. Um, so that was definitely something for me to watch, you know, how they were going to play against us in the first opening half and see if they could actually manage to get a goal on us. So that definitely made me feel more confident going into this game. Uh, the players to watch, as I said, were Adini, if he was eventually able to start, or uh, Nathan Redman. Uh, you might remember Nathan Redman. Uh, he was a winger. at. Norwich, and that was his first season in the Premier League as a young, like, 20-year-old, and he, he made a good impression on a lot of people, uh, Pacey, Winger, you know, English, so a lot of people saw him as, like, a future England call-up and somebody who we could look forward to. Um, yeah, but going into this game, I definitely thought, you know, he would cause a lot of problems against our uh, seeing as our, uh, definitely our left side is... A lot slower with the likes of Ashley Young playing left back and Blind uh, I thought he could definitely cause us problems and then of course uh, playing away from home is never a particularly easy task for any team uh, you know uh, okay so United's lineup going into this game was uh, for the most part unchanged from what we saw with uh, Everson we had De Gea in goal uh, Valencia playing right back, Bailly playing center back, uh, Jones alongside him, and then Young playing left back. Young seems to be uh, Mourinho's kind of first choice at left back, I think. I think he is one of the few players in our team who can actually whip in a decent cross, unlike Valencia. I love Valencia, but whenever he seems to run down the wings, it always seems to be a drilled cross. Um, which, I mean, is helpful, but when you have the likes of Lukaku there, you need somebody that So, hey guys, how's it going? Welcome back to the All Things United podcast. Um, On this week's episode, we're going to be specifically looking at United's 1-0 Premier League victory away from home at Southampton. Uh, Hope you guys enjoy, and remember to subscribe to the podcast if you're new. Uh, And yeah, you'll be seeing sort of weekly uploads from me, uh, just as I was saying in the previous episode about all the United games. Yeah, so, hope you guys enjoy. Okay, so... Previously in the week before this game against Southampton, we played Burton in the EFL Cup or the League Cup or the Cabrera Cup or whatever it's called. They keep changing the name of this cup. It's quite annoying. Um, But yeah, okay, so we saw a victory 4-1 at home. It's what I expected. A team of our quality should be beating a team like Burton, if we're being honest. We saw goals from uh, Marcus Rashford. Jesse Lingard, and Anthony Martial. This was fantastic. If you haven't seen the second Marcus Rashford goal, it was great. For me to give a little description, he's on the edge of the box. The ball comes in, he dummies it, runs around the defender, strikes it, and it goes into the bottom corner. It's a great goal. I don't care if it's against Burton. I loved it. So, yeah, that was great. Confidence booster, on to the next round. We're playing Swansea in the next round, I believe. So, uh, if that game goes anything like it did in the Premier League, we should just walk all over them because they're Swansea and we beat them 4-0. So, yeah. Uh, other talking point from this game, we saw Luke Shaw come in, in the second half. Um, now, Following this game, I was happy with Luke Shaw's performance, but I saw that like there were some people on social media who were saying, Oh, Shaw looked unfit, he looked tired, he looked uh, lethargic, he, he didn't look like he had enough dedication, he wasn't, he wasn't the same player he was before, and to all those people, there's one clear thing that you kind of have to think about when you're looking at Luke Shaw, or it's at least something that I look at when I look at Luke Shaw, the kid's coming off of a leg break, alright, a leg break's a horrific injury, regardless if it's in soccer or if it's in any sport. It's horrific. A leg in, a leg break. I've I've known a few people who have broken their legs, and I just I can't imagine what that's like. And I would imagine for someone like him, you know, coming in at nineteen, us buying him, and then him going through that, going into each tackle and running down the wing. I'm sure he always thinks about that tackle, and he, I uh, even if he tries to block it out, it's probably still on his head. And I think. As I'm saying, that injury not only affects them psychologically, but it affects them physically. So I think for us United fans, we need to just give Shaw at least this year to prove that he's, if not ready to play left back next year, that he's close enough to United quality. And hey, if he... If he you know if he's still coming off the bench in in cup matches then yeah we can probably start saying okay Luke like we've given you the two or three years since the like break to recover and you have you're not the same player that we tried to buy all these years ago and we-, we need to probably say goodbye um as hard as that may be because he's an english left back it's it's literally a storybook uh i would love to see Luke Shaw play left back but at this point as long as he can come back and be the player that we hoped he was going to be, then I'm fine with him staying. If he can't, you know, some players just injuries like that, they just can't be the same player after that. Um, so I think it's going to be a very interesting thing to look at. And yeah, hopefully something that we can talk about on this podcast for the coming weeks, uh, just Luke shot development and stuff like that. Cause he's definitely someone I want to see and I want to see do well. Um, he's probably one of my, favorite players when we signed them so yeah that's uh something i'm looking forward to personally all right now enough with uh the talk about shaw and the league cup because that's not honestly what i really want to talk about even though i love talking about united so we had a game against southampton today now southampton at the start of the season honestly they had some really easy games uh playing against mostly teams who are found in the bottom half of the league. Uh, their defense is solid. They've got Fraser Foster in goal. He's a decent goalkeeper. Um, however, the problem for them has really been just putting the ball in the back of the net. Um, and I think that's always something that a team is going to struggle with. If they can't score, then they can't win the games. Um, so I think that players like Gabby Adini and, and Shane Long They need to start putting goals in for Southampton. Otherwise, it's going to be a long season for them. So, of course, going into this game, I was confident as ever. Uh, Southampton just not really sharp in terms of an attacking threat. And, yeah, they're just fairly mid-table. Away from home is always challenging for pretty much any team, regardless of how good or bad they are. Um, Yeah, it's always a challenge. So I was looking forward to this match. One player that I was particularly looking forward to seeing was Nathan Redmond. He's, um, if you don't really know that much about Nathan Redmond, he burst on the scene with uh, Norwich when they were in the Premier League, as I think he was nineteen or twenty at that point, and he his main attribute is obviously his speed and his pace down the wings, and I think when he was younger and at, uh, sorry. When he was younger and at Norwich, I think a lot of people were looking at him as like the next sort of big winger for England and definitely someone who we could look forward to watching in the premier in the Premier League for years to come. So yeah, I think he was the one who I was probably most wary of. Just looking at our left and left backs, and then Valencia obviously being not as quick as he once was. Um, so he was definitely someone I was keeping my eye on as a player. So yeah, he was. He was. The one more ahead, because obviously Long and Gabbiadini, I didn't see them possibly scoring, and obviously I thought with our attacking powers, we should be able to win this game pretty comfortably. Uh, Speaking of United, they lined up in this game with pretty much an unchanged side from Everton, um, which I think was valid, because that performance was one of the better performances we've had all year. Um, Obviously, it's early goings, but... Uh yeah, so the team lined up with De Gea in goal as always, uh, Young at left back, Valencia at right back, and then Bay and Jones. Now Young is an interesting conversation for me because when Sir Alex first signed him as a winger, I wasn't particularly impressed. He'd played for an Aston Villa side that was mostly in like relegation scraps or in the mid table, so. I wasn't, you know, he definitely wasn't the Galactico kind of signing that, you know, I particularly loved. I was like, okay, he's a decent squad player, but he's he's nothing really to, you know, write home about or anything like that. But I think as a left back, he does add something because Valencia's a right back is great, and he's great going forward, and he's a good captain and all this kind of stuff. But whenever he runs down that wing, I swear, nine times out of ten, Valencia is drilling the ball across the ground and hoping that somebody gets a foot to it. Whereas with Young, I think as sad as it is, he's the only player in our team who can actually put in a good cross for uh, Lukaku to get on the end of. And that's sad to say, but I can kind of see where Mourinho is coming from with playing him at left-back. Now, as I've stated earlier, I'd probably much rather see somebody like Luke Shaw play left-back because he's younger and there's more potential with him rather than a 31 or 32-year-old Ashley Young who's probably going to decline in the next couple of years. But that's beside the point. So yes, the Young move, agree with, it was good. Yeah. Midfield, Matic and Fellini, and then we had Mata and Mkhitaryan uh kind of playing as like attacking midfielders and we had Rashford and Lukaku sort of up top playing as the main sort of strikers I'm pretty sure Rashford was playing out on the wing but yeah it's beside the point okay so this game really wasn't all that impressive for me it was a sort of cagey encounter um in the first half certainly uh, there wasn't a lot of movement, not a lot of passing from either of the teams. It was fairly congested in the midfield with a lot of uh, passes being broken up and a lot of just, like, looping balls, trying to get it over the top to the likes of Lukaku or Shane Long playing up front. So, yeah, the the first half for me really wasn't all that impressive and certainly wasn't the sort of starts we're accustomed to with, you know, our, our like, 4-0 wins and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, this was kind of the game that I think we just needed to grind out and just get the result. Eventually, a chance did come to us with Matic uh, getting a ball delivered on the wing, him crossing it in, Lukaku getting a powerful header. Frazier-Foster pulling off quite an impressive save, um, but Lukaku being there just to tap in the rebound as Frazier was getting back up. So that put United 1-0 in the lead, and that for me was really it. I mean, in the second half, we had... Herrera get a chance uh, he skied it over the bar and that was about all we really saw from United in terms of attacking play I think this result this a result like this is the kind of results you need to get if you want to win the Premier League I think these 1-0 unglamorous looking results where you have to graft through and you have to grind to get those little Scrapey 1-0 wins that, you know, they're not going to talk about for hours on your highlight shows. I think those are the wins that define who's going to win the Premier League and who's not going to win the Premier League. Um, so I was definitely feeling great after that win, regardless of how convincing it was. Uh, another just, like, little storyline was uh, near the end of the match, Mourinho got sent up to the stands. Uh, apparently, according to a couple reports, he was apparently screaming at his defense, telling them to mark up and play defense and make sure to hold on to the lead, which I which I think personally is expected of a coach to do. I mean, you're up 1-0. The team's bringing more and more attackers on. They're pulling all their men forward. Like, of course, you're going to give them a good screaming at to mark up and tell them what to do. So, I don't know. It's just another story of the refs just kind of being annoyed with Mourinho and then something for the tabloids to talk about, which I think is that's what you expect with Mourinho. Um... Going on to Mourinho, I think this year and last year he conducted himself very well in press conferences, and I think he's honestly learnt from his mistakes from Chelsea and being very outspoken and uh saying some things and criticizing players openly. I think I think he's been very good in that regard in, in regards to um not answering those sort of like uh, catchy questions that the reporters may ask, you know, to get a reaction. I think. He's very reserved, and he knows what the media is trying to do, which is uh, something good, because you never want sort of bad publicity going to the club, and I think uh, it's nice to see, and I think the media is sort of getting now that Mourinho is not the same manager he was at Chelsea, and I think he realizes the magnitude of the club that he's at being at United, so, yeah. Um... Looking at this game from a man-of-the-match performance, I haven't seen who they officially gave the the man-of-the-match to, but I'm just going to point out sort of two specific players, and I'm going to talk about them, because for me, these two players, my opinions of them from the start of the season have completely changed. The first being Phil Jones. When Phil Jones was first signed by United, I I honestly wasn't convinced by him. I just thought he was another stereotypical English center back who had very little soccer IQ and I felt like he was a basket case uh he was an accident waiting to happen he I never felt comfortable with him playing center back I always felt like he was overpriced and I didn't know what Sir Alex was doing when he signed him uh so yeah and through those Van Hall and Moyes sort of era I still never had the real confidence in him but Seeing the start of this season and how Mourinho has deployed him with Bay playing next to him, he's honestly looking like a different player. He's going into challenges correctly. He's conducting himself well. He seems to know what's going on. He's not letting crosses go over his head. He's actually trying to challenge for them. Uh, He's not, as I'm saying, he's not doing reckless challenges. So Phil Jones, for me, is, I've completely changed my frame of mind in regards to him. Um, and I'm definitely feeling more comfortable with him playing center back than I was last year or in the years, uh, before. So that's something that I love seeing. And I love seeing that, you know, players are turning a new leaf and they're, you know, uh, they're evolving from who they were, uh, which is something I always like to see. Now, another player who's a lot more publicly sort of slated and, uh, on a lot of United fans sort of minds is, uh, Marouane Fellaini. Now, Fellaini, when when we first signed him from Moyes, I honestly thought, like, what are you doing, Moyes? Like, you're simply just signing someone from Everton, so someone will like you in that locker room, because he wasn't getting us results at all. Um, I didn't like him at Everton, didn't think he was particularly special at Everton. Uh, Just saw him as another player, and I thought the £30 million price tag was a little bit rich coming from Everton. Um, And yeah, and... I think Moyes and Van Gaal played him incorrectly, and I think combined with those terrible results that we had got with Fellaini and the team and some of the stupid things he had done in the past, I think United fans had every right to slate him and feel negative whenever he'd come on the pitch. I mean, I can remember specific games from like the last couple of years where we've brought on Fellaini in like the 80th minute, and you can hear a groan from United fans. For me, whenever we would bring on Fellaini, it was always like a sort of us throwing in the towel or us surrendering, us saying, okay, we, we can't win this match. Uh, Let's just hope that he can get his head on it and scrape us out a result, which is something I never like to see. And, you know, um, I just wanted United to be more dynamic and more attacking, which he wasn't uh, under Moyes and Ben Hell. But, however... um. During these first couple of game, these first like six games or whatever during the season, I've been trying to look at Fellaini from less of that sort of Moise and Van Hal mindset and looking at him as an individual. And as we know, Fellaini isn't exactly the most technically gifted player. We know he can't take on a defender and beat him with a step over and score a thirty yard screamer. We just know he can't do that because technically he's just not that good but however what he is as a player is he's like he he's an enigma he's something unique he's um he's something different he's whatever he's 6 foot 9 or however tall he is he's massive um and even in the way he runs and his movement is awkward so any premier league midfielder who's marking him is going to be thinking how the heck am i going to handle this guy um he's this big lanky Belgian guy who who isn't particularly special in terms of technical ability but if you get him into the box he can cause all sorts of problems and half the time in the box it's not defenders who are marking him it's midfielders so he simply just climbs over the top of them and ends up getting his head on the ball most of the time um so i'm starting to see now the value in full and what he brings he brings uh, a certain mystique about him um, that a lot of players aren't used to and No, I'm not saying by any stretch that we should play Fellaini for all 36 games because I don't think he's the type of player you have in your starting 11 that's capable of winning the Premier league. I think he's a mid-table, to be honest, I think he's a mid-table quality player. But however, I think he's he's perfect in games like today or in games against those smaller level teams who are going to play that sort of route one style of football where they literally just boot the ball up the field and hope for their striker to get on the end of it because he can cause problems. He can, um, as soon as he walks up into the box, you've got three defenders looking at him saying, Mark him, you know, cause he's so big and imposing. Um, and he can also win scraps and he's fairly physical in in the midfield and he can win the ball because of his size, um, which is sometimes the detriment, but I'm now starting to see the value in Fellaini. Now, I'm not saying play this guy against, like, the likes of Liverpool, Chelsea, or Man City, or Spurs, for that matter. Because, quite frankly, he will get played out the park. That's just plain and simple. He'll just get completely outplayed in every aspect. He's not quick enough defensively. Um, He's just, his IQ, I I don't think he could keep up with the likes of De Bruyne or Fabregas or Ericsson or... uh, Aaron Ramsey or someone like that. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of quality midfielders. I'm not saying playing him in those games because he'll get exposed. Like we saw in the City game last year where he got sent off. But that was... Yeah, whatever. That's beside the point. Um, Yeah, so I'm... In terms of my opinion of Fellaini, it's done a complete 360. Now I see the value in Fellaini and I see him as somebody who we can utilize as a player to play in these cup matches and smaller like league cup sort of matches like the games against burton because i think he does have a value in those games um yeah so those two oh they've they've just they've completely blown me away um yeah i mean those two those two are the two that specifically you know kind of stand out to me um okay so our next sort of champions league fixture is against csk and moscow to be perfectly honest with you guys, I know no one who plays for CSK in Moscow. The Russian League is, honestly, I don't even care about it. Uh, I've never watched a Russian Premier League game, and I don't plan to in the future. I think the only two teams I know in the Russian Premier League are, again, Moscow, and I think Zenit St. Petersburg is there with vs Boas, the old Spurs manager. I think he's managing there. I may be wrong. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, okay, so this game, I think we should win, even though it's away from home. I'm hoping for some rotation. And, yeah, I think we should definitely win this game. Now, I just want to go on this little tangent right now about youth players and the youth system that we have currently, because I think somebody like Andreas Pereira, I've been thinking about this kid ever since we loaned him back out to Valencia. And I think now, with this injury to Pogba, I think, honestly, we could throw him in and he would do wonders, all right? Pereira last year was one of the best players in the uh, La Liga. He was up there with the likes of Messi and Neymar in terms of like players taken on and stuff like that. And he played for a team that got relegated in Granada. Um, and I think just just thinking of how many games we have this year, for players like him... And also, like, Angel Gomes, the young striker who came on for Rooney. I just think, damn, we could, like, we could bring those kids in and they could become, you know, just those set players for those kinds of matches. And yes, I see the point of, like, yes, it's the Champions League and you should take it seriously and uh, we should value our opponents. But I'm terrified of one of our starting players getting injured. If If Lukaku gets injured... Who are we going to have to back him up? So we're going to have to play Rashford up front. Rashford's a good striker, but he's not there yet. He's not there yet to where he can lead the line for us, I don't think. As much as I love the kid and I love the youth philosophy on United, I don't think he's ready to lead us as a sole striker. I think he's great when he has somebody next to him like an Ibrahimovic or a Pogba where he can take his time and where he's not necessarily the sole man marked in the box. Uh... I think he's great as a supporting... Right now, because he's he's 19, and this in no way is me slating Rashford. I just think worst-case scenario is um, is Lukaku or Matic. Or if Matic got injured. If Matic gets injured, we literally have Herrera, uh, Herrera, Fellaini, Matic... I mean, not Matic, uh, Mata, and Carrick. Who are like central midfield options? If they, if any of these like core players like Nerik Bayi or any of these core players get injured, I think we have great depth, but I don't think it's enough to where we can continue challenging on all fronts. So that's why I'm saying we need to rest our star players in these types of games because to be honest, we should be beating teams like Moscow and Basel and Benfica because if we're not, that's a serious question mark. And I don't care that it's, like, midweek. Like, we just should be beating these teams. Regardless, because we're United and we're a big, imposing team. And yes, all these teams will take it like their cup final. But I just don't think that we necessarily need to be playing all our top players in these Champions League matches. Because these teams, even though they're the best in their respective divisions, their divisions are nothing compared to the Premier League. And I think, honestly, our second team could be any of those three teams. If we, if we chose to play them. So seeing players like Pereira being put out on loan, I was completely heartbroken because I was thinking, Oh, after the U S tour, he made such a good impression. You know, he had the number 15 Jersey. So I thought, Oh, surely, you know, he'll be, he'll be, he'll be coming off the bench for us. You know, he's a good player. Um, He just wasn't given a chance and seeing him go to Valencia, Valencia is such a good team. Well, maybe not. I'll, I'll pull that back. They're a good team in Spain. And I don't want him to have another... I want him to have another good season to uh, make progression. You know, to develop himself as an individual player. But what I don't want to see is him come back to United, sit down with Jose, and say, Jose, so, am I in your plans this year? And Jose is like, well, I don't really know. I'm going to have to see, you know, if you prove yourself on the tour, and then maybe I'll possibly think about putting you in the, you know, in the second team, on the bench, you know, coming off the bench, making an impact, and he'll be saying, oh, well, all these other Spanish teams and all these teams in the world would probably love me on their team, so I'll just leave, and for him, like so many other of, like, the youth players, I do have a certain bias towards them, because they're our homegrown players, and I think that's something that very few teams can talk about, is the philosophy of them bringing in the sort of younger players and uh creating that sort of atmosphere where young 16 year olds can think oh well I could be the next like Marcus Rashford or I could be the next Ryan Giggs or uh players like that who have came from the youth system and gone all the way up and become legends of the club um now I'm not saying play these youth players in Premier League matches in order to prove themselves because to be honest, if Rashford hadn't scored those two goals in his debut against Arsenal, uh, I don't know if he would have ever seen the first team ever again for United. Um, I'm just saying I would love to see those young players who are performing in the under-23s and uh, just the smaller players playing in these sort of League Cup games against fourth division sides. And I would love to see us sort of go back to that because it's great. For us to have the Galactico signings, the, uh, the Ibrahimovićs, the Pogba's, the De Gea's in goal, uh, yeah, the Ronaldos, those sort of players. It's great for us to sign these players and grow the brand, but we have to remember what Sir Alex's main strategy was in terms of making us a big club, and that was thinking about the future and thinking about the youth. And I think that's something I would love to see um, implemented more. I mean, somebody like Axel Twanzebi, a centre-back, who we played uh, a few times last year, played him at right-back, which I don't necessarily agree with, but I think bringing those youth players in, it would be so exciting for United fans. And yes, I know that we're a big club, and we have to you know, perform for fans, and we have to win games, and we have to win trophies, but I'm saying, even in these smaller games, I think we should give these young kids a chance just to prove that we're not simply... A business and we're not just trying to buy big players so we can get more shirt sales and so we can make more money we still want to stay at the core of what our club is alright um yeah and it just I don't know it it annoys me about like the sort of modern state because I think something like the class of 92 with Beckham and Giggs and the Neville's I think something like that will never happen again and I think that was very unique to the time in which it happened um, and I think it says something about football, and football is becoming football is soccer, a debate, which is going to offend some people if I ever get any UK fans. um, I think the current state of soccer or football uh, is more of a business, and it's we want results now, and we want the best players so we can make the most money and we can be profitable and we can move forward in the league. Um, we're seeing all these Chinese investors invest in small clubs, all these American owners investing in all these small clubs, bringing in big players. I mean, look at Swansea city. They brought in Renato Sanchez, who two years ago was regarded as one of the best young midfielders in the world. And all the top teams were wanting to get him. United, Chelsea, city, uh, Bayern, Real, Barcelona. They were all wanting to get him. But where is he now? He's at Swansea. Now, if that doesn't say something about the Premier League, I don't know what does. The fact that a a relatively small team in a relatively small market can now go after players like Renato Sanchez on loan, but still making that big sort of signing that, you know, even the bigger clubs two or three years ago couldn't make because Benfica were wanting too much money. I think it says a lot. And you look at um, Everton's progression. Everton has spent... Um, has spent one of the highest amounts of money this summer in terms of transfers, bringing in players like Rooney and Sigurdsson and all those players. Um, so I think in terms of the Premier League as a whole, I think it's evolving and it's moving forward into something that's uh, becoming more than just a game. And I think that is acceptable, but I think it's something we have to look at and something we have to analyze as United fans. And we have to look at how is that going to affect the future generation of footballers? Is the same loyalty going to be there? Uh, a conversation I got into a couple nights ago with someone was, um, how long do you think Rashford's gonna stay? And the argument is, oh, well, the fairy tale sort of argument of it is like, well, of course, Rashford's gonna stick because he's um, from the United Academy, you know, he's gonna stay there for his whole career and become a legend. But the other side of it is, he's an international, I think he's an international star, you know, playing in the Premier League, one of the most televised leagues in the world, most. Educated football fans know who Marcus Rashford is. And the cynical sort of business side of me could easily see him going to somewhere like Real Madrid or Barcelona or uh, Bayern Munich or one of those big clubs like PSG. Like, look at them. Um, I could see him doing that. And I think that's just down to what football is. I think there's a certain lack in loyalty nowadays. Um, Yeah, so I think we definitely need to just keep on hammering on that point of still thinking about the future because ultimately that's what it is I mean what are England going to do when the likes of Harry Kane and Dele Alli retire um yeah we can keep them for the next 10 years but what are we going to do after that who are the players that are going to come in that are going to follow in their footsteps so I think that's definitely something that we need to think about um yeah I know that was a bit of a tangent but it was just it was something that was on my mind for the longest time um Yeah, and it's something just I enjoy talking about. I know it's not—it is United-related because it's what our club was fundamentally uh, built on before Sir Alex came. I mean, when Sir—after Sir Alex came. I mean, it was the youth because that's what put him on the map, but yeah. Okay, so that Champions League game, we should win. Okay, speaking of games we should win, uh, we play Crystal Palace next week in the Premier League. We play them at home. Crystal Palace this year have been diabolical, all right? They haven't managed to score a goal in the Premier League. Uh, their first game the first game of the season, they lost to Huddersfield 3-0. Um, they just their heads are down. You can see players like Wilfred Zaha and Ben Take, who were making an impact last year. They just that whole team as a collective has just dropped. And they've now just brought in Hodgson, who I think is a questionable. Uh, signing for them. I mean, yes, he is a proven Premier League manager, but I don't know if he can necessarily uh, battle a team out of relegation like a sort of Sam Allardyce, whose specialty seems to be that. And I think it does a lot to a club when you drastically switch managers like that four games into the season. I think that's way too early to get somebody out. Uh, But again, as I've stated before in my rant, uh, I think that, again, does say something about football and that teams want instant results. Um, yeah, so definitely going into that game, next week, I have all the confidence in the world that we should just run over them. No doubt. Um I think their heads are low, our team's playing in the best form that we've seen in a couple years for United fans. So I have all the confidence in the world and the boys that they will get the result that's expected. Um, and obviously, we all know that Crystal Palace lost 5-0 to City this weekend. In terms of City, I see them as our most dangerous title contender, partner, whatever you want to call it, this season. I think they're the one team, from what I've seen the first six weeks, who's going to challenge us for this Premier league. With the amount of attacking options they have, the likes of Gabriel Jesus and Quinn and also they get delivery from like De Bruyne and David Silva, who are some of the best midfielders in the league, I think definitely they put the league on notice, beating Watford 6-0, and then they followed it up by beating Crystal Palace 5-0, which I think is huge. And then you look at teams like like Chelsea with Morata. Morata's been a great signing. He's got six goals in six matches. However, with Chelsea, I think it's a different It's a different issue with them. I don't think they're going to be up there for the title. And that's obviously something. Thinking about it right now, that I'm probably going to eat my words if they end up winning the title. But I, at this point in the season, I don't think they're going to be fighting with us for the league. I think it's mostly going to be City. Because I think this whole three-at-the-back system I think was, oh yeah, it was the cool thing for like a year when Conte first came. And oh yeah, everybody was so amazed because he managed to, you know, make wingers and turn them into right backs and left backs. Well, that was kind of what, you know, Mourinho did with Valencia, but no one no one was really talking about that until now. Um, yeah, so, sorry, my thoughts on Chelsea. Um, back to that. They do have very very good players again very similar to united and chelsea united and city with the likes of hazard again they have to wait for him to get back to full health i think bakioko is a chancy signing to say the best i don't think he really shined at monaco in particular i think that was mostly mbappe um i think you know swapping him for matich is just hilarious because i think Matic so far has been one of our best players this year and i have no idea still why they sold him let alone sold him to us so I don't see them as particular uh, contenders Spurs solid team they've got great players all around the pitch I just think the playing at Wembley factor and Champions League and the group they're in is going to be too much and I don't think that they have the depth in their squad in order to contend over a full year. That's another thing. The depth of your squad, I think, is huge in something like the Premier League. Being able to put out maybe two or three sides a week that are consistently fit and also worrying about injuries. I think Chelsea, that's something that they need to look at, is their depth in their squad. And then also, I think Spurs needs to look at that. Because, yes, it's great to have players like Kane, but who do they have behind him? They have Llorente, who's a striker for Swansea, and probably, to be fair, the only reason why they stayed up. But I think in order to contend, you need to have three things. You need to have a solid spine in your team. Like, a solid spine. Like, when I say a spine, I'm saying a good goalkeeper, a good center back, good center mid, like, a great, like, all these are great players. Great goalkeeper, great center, center defensive, Great center back, great goalkeeper, great midfielder, and then a great striker up front. And I I think that's the first thing you need is good spine. And then the second thing is I think you need depth. I think you need depth in all your positions to be able to deal with cups, injuries, because those things are just inevitable in a season. And then also, I think you just need a... Oh, I lost the thought. You need... I, I lost the thought, to be honest. Um, I think you ne- you also need, in just to think off the top of my head, I think you also need like a commanding captain, which a lot of these top teams do. Um, the reason why I argue that Liverpool will not contend for the title this year is because their defense is just so shaky, and I don't think that Henderson as a captain for them is anywhere near the captain that Gerrard's going to be. And I don't think he's the right person to lead them. I think you need on a team, it's no good just having one leader on a team. I think you need multiple leaders. Multiple people who can grab people by the scruff of the neck and tell them what they're doing wrong and how they're going to fix it. I think one of the best captains, as much as I hate Chelsea, and I'll openly admit that I despise Chelsea, was John Terry. I think he was one of the best captains that the league's ever seen. Um. I think what he did for England, the way that he held people accountable, was admirable. Um, you look at to go back to United, you look at Ferdinand uh, when he was captain, uh, Roy Keane in the midfield when he was captain. The, those that's something that you need because without a captain, your team can go haywire in a matter of seconds. Um, and I think that's something that's desperately needed by all title contenders. So yeah. Um, letting on to that point. So I think City, definitely got to watch out for them. I think Chelsea, yes, you have to watch out for them because they've got so many good players. But I think ultimately depth is going to be the downfall of them. Tottenham, again, good team. Depth, the issue. And Liverpool, I just, I don't know what to do with them because Coutinho he honestly should have been sold. Uh, Henderson, not really a reliable captain. And their defense and goalkeeper is shocking. I think they're going to concede way too many goals. They managed to win today 3-2, um, which they should have won 3-0, uh, if not for terrible defending. But that's beside the point. Um, so yeah, I think we as United fans definitely have a lot to look forward to. Um, that game against Moscow will be interesting just to see who Jose plays. And then that... Um, That Crystal Palace game, just to see if we can continue the form. Uh, We have a couple big games coming up against the likes of Liverpool, uh, which is a huge game. I think I'm going to do probably a preview for that game. It's just, it's such a huge game. I feel, looking at this podcast, it's unrealistic for me to, at the moment in time, me being 17 years old, I think it's unrealistic for me to find time. This is not me making excuses. For me to find time to focus on work and then also to pump out two, this is probably going to be like 45 minutes, so two 45-minute podcasts a week. And then also, like, if I was to, say I did a preview on CSK in Moscow, that podcast is going to be like 10 minutes long because I'm literally just going to say who I would like to start and then what I think the score is going to be. There's not enough to talk about, so I'm probably going to keep this structure of, talking about the main Premier League game, the games before, so like this week in United, with like regards to cup games and stuff like that, and then looking ahead uh, to the next couple games, talking about the general outlook of the Premier League, looking at you know our big rivals and how they did this week, because I think that's something good to talk about, even though this is priority. So <laughs> even though this is really only a United podcast, I still think it's important to look at the general outlook of the Premier League because I think that does affect United um, and how other teams are playing because I think that does put a team under a certain amount of pressure. So I think that's how I'm going to format it. And obviously think of uh, talking points to talk about such as the Shaw thing today, uh, fully, and like, yeah, stuff like that. The The Shaw situation, my thoughts on like youth and stuff like that. Like I'm going to incorporate my specific specific things that go through my head as a united fan um and specific arguments that i often have myself but can't really voice because i don't have that many people who follow united as intently as i do and uh they're just thoughts um so yeah i'm thinking of just keeping this general structure uh and, yeah, I think I'm going to end it there, guys. So if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, um, make sure to subscribe in your podcast app on your phone or uh, just keep up to date with the podcast. I'll post this on social media and stuff like that so you guys can stay in touch if you want to listen. Yeah, so next week will be Crystal Palace. Hopefully you can get the win. And, yeah, hope you guys have a great weekend, and thanks for listening. All right.